Section four of The Awkward Age by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. Book second, Little Aggie. Chapter one. Mrs. Brookenham stopped on the threshold with a sharp surprise at the sight of her son, and there was disappointment, though rather of the afflicted than of the irritated sort, in the question that, slowly advancing, she launched at him. "'If you are still lolling about, why did you tell me two hours ago that you were leaving immediately?' Deep in a large brocaded chair with his little legs stuck out to the fire, he was so much at his ease that he was almost flat on his back. She had evidently roused him from sleep, and it took him a couple of minutes, during which, without again looking at him, she directly approached a beautiful old French secretary, a fine piece of the period of Louis Seize, to justify his presence. "'I changed my mind. I couldn't get off.' "'Do you mean to say you're not going?' "'Well, I'm thinking it over. What's a fellow to do?' He sat up a little, staring with conscious solemnity at the fire, and if it had been, as it was not, one of the annoyances she in general expected from him, she might have received the impression that his flush was the heat of liquor. "'He's to keep out of the way,' she returned, "'when he has led one so deeply to hope it.' There had been a bunch of keys dangling from the secretary, of which, as she said these words, Mrs. Brookenham took possession. Her air on observing them had promptly become that of having been in search of them, and a moment after she had passed across the room they were in her pocket. "'If you don't go, what excuse will you give?' "'Do you mean to you, Mummy?' She stood before him, and now dismally looked at him. "'What's the matter with you? What an extraordinary time to take a nap!' He had fallen back in the chair, from the depths of which he met her eyes. "'Why, it's just the time, Mummy. I did it on purpose. I can always go to sleep when I like. I assure you, it sees one through things.' She turned away with impatience, and, glancing about the room, perceived on a small table of the same type as the secretary a somewhat massive book with a label of a circulating library, which she proceeded to pick up as for refuge from the impression made on her by her boy. He watched her do this, and watched her then slightly pause at the wide window that, in Buckingham Crescent, commanded the prospect they had ramified rearward to enjoy, a medley of smoky brick and spotty stucco, of other undressed backs of glass invidiously opaque, of roofs and chimney-pots and stables unnaturally near, one of the private pictures that in London, in select situations, run up, as the phrase is, the rent. There was no indication of value now, however, in the character conferred on the scene by a cold spring rain. The place had, moreover, a confessed out-of-season vacancy, she appeared to have determined on silence for the present mark of her relation with Harold, yet she soon failed to resist a sufficiently poor reason for breaking it. "'Be so good as to get out of my chair.' "'What will you do for me?' he asked, "'if I oblige you?' He never moved, but as if only the more directly and intimately to meet her, and she stood again before the fire and sounded his strange little face." I don't know what it is, but you give me sometimes a kind of terror. A terror, Mamma. She found another place, 
sinking sadly down and opening her book, and the next moment he got up and came over to kiss her, on which she drew her cheek wearily aside. "'You bore me quite to death,' she coldly said, "'and I give you up to your fate.' "'What do you call my fate?' "'Oh, something dreadful, if only by its being publicly ridiculous.' She turned vaguely the pages of her book. "'You're too selfish, too sickening.' "'Oh, dear, dear,' he wonderingly whistled, while he wandered back to the hearth-rug, on which, with his hands behind him, he lingered a while. He was small and had a slight stoop which somehow gave him character. Character of the insidious sort carried out in the acuteness, difficult to trace to a source, of his smooth, fair face, where the lines were all curves and the expression all needles. He had the voice of a man of forty, and was dressed— as if markedly not for London, with an air of experience that seemed to match it. He pulled down his waistcoat, smoothing himself, feeling his neat hair, and looking at his shoes. "'I took your five pounds. Also two of the sovereigns,' he went on. "'I left you two pound ten. His mother jerked up her head at this, facing him in dismay, and, immediately on her feet, passed back to the secretary. "'It's quite as I say,' he insisted. "'You should have locked it before, don't you know? "'It grinned at me there with all its charming brasses. "'And what was I to do? "'Darling mummy, I couldn't start. "'That was the truth. "'I thought I should find something. "'I'd noticed. "'And I do hope you'll let me keep it, "'because if you don't, it's all up with me. "'I stopped over on purpose. "'On purpose, I mean, to tell you what I've done. "'Don't you call that a sense of honour? and now you only stand and glower at me. Mrs. Brookenham was, in her forty-first year, still charmingly pretty, and the nearest approach she made at this moment to meeting her son's description of her was by looking beautifully desperate. She had about her the pure light of youth, would always have it, her head, her figure, her flexibility, her flickering colour, her lovely, silly eyes, her natural, quavering tone, all played together toward this effect by some trick that had never yet been exposed. It was at the same time remarkable that, at least in the bosom of her family, she rarely wore an appearance of gaiety less qualified than at the present juncture. She suggested for the most part the luxury, the novelty of woe, the excitement of strange sorrows, and the cultivation of fine indifferences. This was her special sign, an innocence dimly tragic. It gave immense effect to her other resources— she opened the secretary with the key she had quickly found, then with the aid of another rattled out a small drawer, after which she pushed the drawer back, closing the whole thing. "'You terrify me! You terrify me!' she again said. "'How can you say that, when you showed me just now how well you know me? Wasn't it just on account of what you thought I might do that you took out the keys as soon as you came in?' Harold's manner had a way of clearing up whenever he could talk of himself. "'You are too utterly disgusting. I shall speak to your father.' With which, going to the chair he'd given up, his mother sank down again with her heavy book. There was no anger, however, in her voice, and not even a harsh plaint, only a detached accepted disenchantment. Mrs. Brookenham's supreme rebellion against fate was just to show, with the last frankness, 
how much she was bored. "'No, darling mummy, you won't speak to my father. You'll do anything in the world rather than that,' Harold replied, quite as if he were kindly explaining her to herself. "'I thank you immensely for the charming way you take what I've done. It was because I had a conviction of that that I waited for you to know it. It was all very well to tell you I'd start on my visit, but how the deuce was I to start without a penny in the world? Don't you see that if you want me to go about, you must really enter into my needs?' "'I wish to heaven you'd leave me. I wish to heaven you'd get out of the house,' Mrs. Brookenham went on without looking up. Harold took out his watch. "'Well, Mamma, now I am ready. I wasn't in the least before.' but it will be going forth, you know, quite to seek my fortune. For do you really think, I must have from you what you do think, that it will be all right for me? She fixed him at last with a pretty pathos. You mean for you to go to Brenda? You know, he answered, with his manner as of letting her see her own attitude, you know, you try to make me do things you wouldn't at all do yourself. At least, I hope you wouldn't. And don't you see that if I so far oblige you, I must at least be paid for it? His mother leaned back in her chair, gazed for a moment at the ceiling, and then closed her eyes. You are frightful, she said. You're appalling. You're always wanting to get me out of the house, he continued. I think you want to get us all out, for you manage to keep Nanda from showing even more than you do me. Don't you think your children good enough, mummy dear? At any rate, it's as plain as possible that if you don't keep us at home, you must keep us in other places. One can't live anywhere for nothing. It's all bosh that a fellow saves by staying with people. I don't know how it is for a lady, but a man's practically let in. Do you know you kill me, Harold? Mrs. Brookenham woefully interposed, but was with the same remote melancholy that she asked in the next breath. It wasn't an invitation to Brenda. It's as I told you. She said she'd write, fixing a time, but she never did write. But if you wrote... It comes to the same thing? Does it? That's the question. If on my note she didn't write, that's what I mean. Should one simply take it that one's wanted? I like to have these things from you, mother. I do. I believe everything you say, but to feel safe and right, I must just have them. Anyone would want me, eh? Mrs. Brookenham had opened her eyes, but she still attached them to the cornice. If she hadn't wanted you, she'd have written to keep you off. In a great house like that, there's always room. The young man watched her a moment. How you do like to tuck us in and then sit up yourself. What do you want to do, anyway? What are you up to, Mummy? She rose at this, turning her eyes about the room as if from the extremity of martyrdom or the wistfulness of some deep thought. Yet when she spoke, it was with a different expression, an expression that would have served for an observer as a marked illustration of that disconnectedness of her parts which frequently was laughable even to the degree of contributing to her social success. You spent, then, more than four pounds in five days. It was on Friday I gave them to you. What in the world do you suppose is going to become of me? 
Harold continued to look at her as if the question demanded some answer really helpful. "'Do we live beyond our means?' She now moved her gaze to the floor. "'Will you please get away?' "'Anything to assist you. Only, if I should find I'm not wanted.' She met his look after an instant, and the wan loveliness and vagueness of her own had never been greater. "'Be wanted, and you won't find it. You're odious, but you're not a fool.' He put his arms about her now for farewell, and she submitted, as if it was absolutely indifferent to her to whose bosom she was pressed. "'You do, dearest,' he laughed, "'say such sweet things.' And with that he reached the door, on opening which he pulled up at a sound from below. "'The Duchess! She's coming up!' Mrs. Brookenham looked quickly round the room, but she spoke with utter detachment. "'Well, let her come.' "'As I'd let her go.' I take it as a happy sign she won't be at Brenda. He stood with his hand on the knob. He had another quick appeal. But after Tuesday? Mrs. Brookenham had passed half round the room with a glide that looked languid, but that was really a remarkable form of activity, and had given a transforming touch, on sofa and chairs, to three or four crushed cushions. It was all with the hanging head of a broken lily. You're to stay till the twelfth, but if I am kicked out, it was as a broken lily that she considered it. Then go to the Mangus. Happy thought. And shall I write? His mother raised a little more a window blind. No, I will. Delicious mummy. And Harold blew her a kiss. Yes, rather, she corrected herself. Do write, from Brander. It's a sort of thing for the mangers, or even wire. Both? The young man laughed. Oh, you duck, he cried. And from where will you let them have it? From Pewbury, she replied without wincing. I'll write on Sunday. Good. How'd you do, Duchess? And Harold, before he disappeared, greeted with a rapid concentration of all the shades of familiarity a large high lady the visitor he had announced, who rose in the doorway with the manner of a person used to arriving on thresholds very much as people arrive at stations, with the expectation of being met. End of section 4